0: You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Manuel Emk.
1: Manuel, Welcome. Hi Ariel, welcome. I'm very happy to be on this uh, podcast with you. I
0: I was, you know, in in our in our discussion before the call, we were trying to sit, figure out how to introduce you. And you know, my title will be very long because you are sort of watch industry royalty in a little bit, right? You've you've been responsible for some interesting brands as a CEO. Uh, Jacques Droux, uh, Romain Jerome—you know—are mm-hmm. our two major ones. And and now you are behind the scenes. You you call yourself a consultant, though I think that is sort of underselling yourself. Um, you are a creative lead at um, a Russian watch brand called Raketa, uh, as well as another Swiss brand called Louis Arard. And you again, w- would you agree that you have a, a, a deeper uh, insight in the in the Swiss watch industry than even most of the other
1: CEOs? Well, I guess so because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm active in all sorts of uh, fields in in the watch industry. I mean, as I was called the other day, I was called a veteran, which I disliked uh, quite a lot. Because I just felt sounded old, old, right? Nobody wants to be a veteran. <laughs> no. but, but I, I guess <laughs> with my 25 years in this industry, um, having worked in different environments, whether it's in,
0: uh, I mean,
1: basically starting up companies in the watch industry as independent or also in big corporations and today i mean I'm, my my clients if i can use that work or people i work with are uh, companies that go from i would say uh triple digit or watches to 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 watches that sell over a million in in different price categories in different fields whether it's corporate uh, companies or independent so i think yeah i would say i've i've, I've a pretty deep and large understanding of the spectrum of the the watch industry and not only Swiss because I'm also involved in German companies and um, Russian, as you mentioned. So I would say I have a pretty international view on the brands, but also pretty deep understanding of the different, I would say, segmentations, if you like to use that word.
0: Are you excited about where the watch industry is today? It's a weird time. It's a challenging time. It's a scary time. There's also a lot of opportunities. Are you excited about you know, watch luxury watch industry, circa twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two.
1: Well, I would definitely say it's an exciting moment. I mean, uh, look again. I've I've seen a lot of cycles. I've seen this uh, incredible first cycle at the beginning of the two thousands, when watchmaking became, uh, I would say, luxury industry. Uh, before it was just, let's say, uh, to to the biggest extent, it was a time-giving instrument, then it became something uh, more. It became became a luxury accessory, it became a status symbol. I mean, a lot of elements that put on, there was the whole development of the international market. It was like the heydays uh, of the the watch industry, the early 2000s. Then we, we have seen different cycles. And I would say we, again, since not that long, actually, maybe a year, uh basically with, with somehow uh with the uh with this pandemic situation we're again facing quite an incredibly interesting cycle uh that i think to started um and it's an interesting cycle why because for the first time since a long long time and maybe probably the first time since i'm in the industry suddenly there is also an enormous focus on independent watchmaking which uh, I think is probably the most interesting part in uh, what our industry has to offer. Now, independent watchmaking is something
0: that you you kind of went into, right? You started at Jacky Droz, which was part of the Swatch group. So by definition, because it's part of a group, it's not independent, though it was run a little bit differently than the other brands. Then you went to Romain Jerome that was independent, but had an external financier. So you, you couldn 't make every decision you wanted by yourself, and now you yourself became the independent. I guess the question is why is there such a drive for creative freedom in the watch industry it's 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 run by creativity it's it's you know all success comes from somebody being creative yet it's sort of like you have to chase freedom, you have to earn it, you have to escape, not freedom to achieve freedom. Why does that exist
1: in the watch industry? <laughs> Well, I think because uh, I agree with you, the watch industry is part of what I call the creative industry, uh, where creativity should be the lead. But for years, this was not really the case. Why? Because, uh, again, the industry grown very, very quickly over the last uh, 30, let's say 25, 30 years. And it mostly grown uh, because of market uh, evolution, because suddenly we had new markets coming up, China, others. And it was more about, um, I would say, uh, getting to the end client. So it was more about big corporations, subsidiaries, retail stores, up to the end client. So it was more a game of distribution than of creation. And I would say this is probably one of the big changes that happened with social media, with, with what I would say this global uh, or direct, uh, immediate uh, interaction with end clients that changed the game, uh, among other factors, obviously. But that's probably one of these factors where we suddenly understood it was not just the power of the ones who led uh the, or had the control over the distribution um, uh, network of the system, distribution chain, if you like, uh, that could uh, that could perform. It was more and more the and the, basically we empowered the end consumer and the end consumer or the client suddenly understood or not suddenly. He obviously is looking for something much more creative, much more independent, much more interesting, uh, because again it's a uh, cre- creative industry. So I think this changed a lot, and that wasn't the case
0: before. So let me unpack two of the things you said, because those are very important points. One is that, historically speaking, creativity might have been a detriment in the watch industry because you were making essentially a tool. You weren't supposed to be creative, you're supposed to make a good tool. You're supposed to make it efficiently and earn as much profit doing a good business selling tools as possible to people out there that wanted tools. Then. Watches, mechanical watches, were no longer needed as tools, and people bought them as toys. And when you sell a toy, emotions and creativity is everything. It's like you have to be a tool, but just being a good tool isn't enough. So that's one point. Second point is sort of related to, um, you know, the types of individuals who, you know, are, are necessary uh, to, to run this thing. Whereas the same type of individuals who were able to make a great watch factory were not really able to participate in the new economy of selling these things as toys and things like that. So there's going to be an inherent incompatibility between the people who took the industry this far and the people who need, need to take this industry uh, further.
1: Yeah, pretty much agree. But but look, it, it, isn't it the case in all um, creative or luxury industry? We always have this. Um, I would say, double uh, managed uh, organization between a CEO and an artistic director. In some cases, it's even a merchandising director that makes a sort of trium, uh, decision-making and, and, and managing uh, trium. And for whatever reason, the watch industry for years has just been run by single um, heads, which are basically managing uh, organization. Uh, we're managing... Um, uh, the business, uh, whether it's in terms of production, organization, distribution, uh, all these elements, sales, sales was the most important job in the watch industry for years, uh, simply because it was more imp- uh, important to have the person who was able to sell than the person who was able to create. And this has changed. I think your your, your perspective, the, the way you wrapped it up, is actually uh, it's it's a, it's exactly what happened. Is we we went from a time giving instrument into a much more emotional you call it toy I call it uh, art uh, piece that obviously fulfills a certain number of needs whether it's data symbol related whether it's this is also a big change or investment value related but it just it just became much more emotional um, than in the past and uh, our industry in the terms of organization or managing or running uh, has not adapted to this uh, change quickly and is adapting now. And this is why we see this, um, I would say, very strong um, focus and evolution of the independents because the independents were often run uh, or are mostly run by creative people, whether they're watchmakers that just produce what they like or people which I would say have maybe a more uh, stronger sensitive uh, sensitivity to creating these emotions.
0: So you, you took a little bit of umbrage when I called it a toy, and I'd like to discuss that a little bit, because I think I can win you over to my side, but tell me, <laughs> what is your
1: immediate reaction to the word toy? Oh, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's a negative reaction. It's an interpretation uh, element. Uh, toy, for me, has something um, that you play with for a while, and then you abandon. That's the principle of toy. Um, oh, so for I'm,
0: you, toys are disposable?
1: Exactly, and um, for me, okay, watches, like you grow out of it. Exactly, which I think is the is the can be the 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 top opposite for a watch because the more you play with it, actually, the more you connect with it to a certain extent, and and for me that makes it also timeless and very personal. So so it's it's just a question. I think it's just a language interpretation or,
0: Yeah, I mean, look for me, and again, I I'm just trying to be philosophize about the words because words are very important to me. Toy is something you play with. Toy doesn't have a lot of consequences. Toy is mostly about pleasure. And you have Mm -hmm. to do something with it. Like art just sits there. Art can do other things, but in essence, the artistic part of something is a non-actionable part, right? The art is a a quality of the aesthetic and the emotion. It's not part of its functionality. Mm -hmm. So for me you know, when you're a kid, you normally grow out of things. And because we associate toys with kids, we associate, you know, ourselves with growing out of toys. I think as an, as an adult, we have the same desire for toys, but because our personalities are a little bit more stable, we tend to grow them, you know, more slowly and that there's nothing wrong with it being a toy. And that, you know, a watch is a very socially acceptable way for an adult male to play with a toy. And, and I, I find a lot of people who like watches, because, you know, I spend an awful lot of time with collectors, oftentimes, in fact, do collect toys. You know, in Asia, for example, I, I love the fact that it's much more socially acceptable for adult men to be into cartoons and actually play and buy with toys and have them, things like that. Like there's behaviors over there that would never be acceptable in the West. And so you have much more of a watch toy overlap in an overt sense with a lot of the uh, people who are in Asia, um, um, you know, being collectors. And I, I, I personally like it a lot, but you're right. You see a lot less of it in the prouder, uh, the prouder Europe where a lot of the, uh, watch happen, watch me. Y- y-
1: yes. And no, I mean, don't forget I was the first one to, to do these collaborations with video games, uh, space, in- uh, space Inv- uh, space invaders, Pac-Man, Super Mario, yeah. Batman, Batman watches. I mean, uh, Ten years before it became a uh, hype to a certain extent in the watch industry, I started to do these collaborations because I knew. Also, You were ahead of the time.
0: You remember you how much I liked the Mario one? You remember how you remember yeah, yeah, I got I one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I know. It's, all the, it's also the only one I kept out of the collection because it's just my oh, cool. favorite. Anyway, yeah. having said this, um, yes, I knew. The, the, but But I think. It, don't forget when I when I started to do these video video games. For me, it was more initially. Uh, the initial thought was to say, "Okay, I want to put art in the watches, and and, and I want to have like a, a bit of a younger, a bit more hedonistic, uh, not uh, structured art." And obviously, somehow went into street art. And when you when you get into street art, Space Invaders was hedonistic, part of the, huh? Exactly. So he was already a big <laughs> part. So that was that was my initial idea and then I quickly figured out that when you're a brand and you working with uh elements that are relative to another brand you you better work with the, with you better work with the companies directly because otherwise you might face a few legal uh, constraints so so that that's where we moved from art into collaborating with video games and then it proven so successful that we obviously continued um but again see that is exactly where my um line of thought is, I agree with you uh, with, the, with the toy, but I think for me, watches are a mix, uh, are probably, and that makes them maybe also a bit more interesting because they're not just a toy, uh, they're not really in our piece neither They're somewhere in this in this middle uh, where they can cover both. And um, it's it's interesting because I agree with you with the collector's philosophy, the uh, Asian probably also especially let's say mexican uh, collectors are much more in that toy element and then we come to europeans um japanese part of the asians as well i guess uh americans to a certain extent as well are more in this kind of art piece um so so each culture or each region has a bit of a different approach and it, it i agree i mean we, for me that's where i don't call it a toy because for me toys somehow is something disposable you play with that doesn't sustain over time that somehow uh, then you know like, like a car for me a, car, a supercar is closer to a toy than a watch but, but but see it's all a question of how you look at it
0: no and and, and that's fine i think that discussion just sort of said if you are into toys and think that totally describes your collecting hobby great and if you're turned on by the off by the concept you can be into watches for the exact same reason it's just a small cultural difference there but at the end of the day i think that you have to know what the consumer wants and Absolutely. it's not a tool which tells the time really precisely and means i only need to service it every 7 years like that's great and all and that's a story that helps
1: sell it in a lot of instances but that's not what the market is looking for no and I think uh, one of the elements that fundamentally or profoundly changes our industry today, and that's an element that we didn't have in the past, uh, but that shows how how um, versatile and how much facets there are in this industry, is it has become in the last two, three years also an investment value, it has become an asset. Uh, now, the question is, do we like it? Uh, well, uh, not that much, but. Do we like the, the, the impact of it? Obviously, because it helped our industry a lot. I think, uh, watches, as you mentioned, has gone through different stages and kept, uh, every time a, a, a part of the stage. So it was time giving instrument. It still is to a certain extent. You can still read time out of it. Um, and it's still, uh, it's, it's still the, 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 I would say it's still, a... Uh, it, 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 to a certain extent is also the closest uh, element you can wear it. It became a sort of a accessory, luxury accessory, a jewel to a certain extent. it became the status symbol. Um, and today it becomes additional to it in an investment value. So every time it goes through, through one of these cycles, it keeps part of it and that makes it stronger and stronger. And that's why I'm pretty confident with the excesses that it always that always come with it at certain stage uh, of it. But with with every step, it just creates a sort of um, global, uh, not global, uh, sort of total uh, uh, element or RPs or toy, whatever you want to call it that that makes it stronger uh, each time.
0: Why do you think the industry is so susceptible to bubbles? Because so many times, just in the 15 years I've been in it and probably in the 25 years you've been in it, um, the industry will we'll jump on some trend until it explodes and then there'll be a bunch of fallout and they'll try to blame like global, you know, economic things. But in the end of the day, they're like, they set themselves up for failure so often.
1: Like, why does that happen? <laughs> I, can't, I can't answer that question. I don't know because simply I think it's, um, I don't know whether, whether it's a lack of measuring uh, I think it's also the way the industry is structured. It's very sub uh, subdivided into different uh, steps, from from the from the consumer down to the uh, producer of sub-components. Uh, it's a very complex uh, chain uh, of value. It's a lot of yeah. interventions, uh, a lot of people intervene in this chain of value, and I think this just creates this kind of. Um, Inertia to a certain extent or, or just basically just when something starts to move the whole the whole machine moves in this direction and when it stops the, the impact is immediate and then you, you got to figure out uh what the reason is and then maybe there's just another another element it's it's an industry that don't forget was grown very very quickly um uh from very small mostly uh you know who 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 are running high-end watches, watches 30 years uh, ago is basically a, a antique antique dealers uh, business and it's just grown into um a global um industry uh, even though i don't like the the word industry i would just say it's a, it's a huge it's a, it's a, it's a big artisanship rather than an in- industry but uh, having said this, yeah, it's not uh,
0: really an industry. That no. industry would imply people want to cooperate,
1: <laughs> and people uh, and industry would probably today mean a certain uh, business-wise certain size. It's still a small industry. I mean, and it's still in quantities. Look, uh, I was trying to figure out how many interesting watches. Let's say interesting watches uh, are produced uh, in the in the world every year, uh, four or five million it's it's peanuts. It's it's really small quantities in, in comparison with, and this is obviously also a factor why it becomes so collectible and so sought uh, after.
0: Okay, let me explain a theory I have, one that the watch industry, much of your colleagues have never quite figured out. There's this protectivism about it being a luxury object. Because of that, they're so afraid to be sold around things that are seen as less expensive, especially less expensive watches. With that said, I think that the beauty of the car industry is that you have products which are both accessible to most consumers and products that are accessible to only some consumers and both sides of those industries celebrate one another. Like Pajani is never afraid about about being around Honda and Honda is never afraid about being about Pajani, around Pajani like they're two cars different breeds completely but they're not afraid about being in the same room together. But in watches, there's never been a wholesale celebration of high design amongst mainstream watches by the elite. Like the elite have, you know, in, in magazines. Oh, we can't be a part of a magazine that talks about lower priced watches. Like, how dare you? Like, there's this price elitism, which I think robs them of having a mainstream market for for collectible watches or enthusiast watches, and that's been very, very difficult for them, in my opinion. And I've I've seen so much struggle around their sort of um, being celebratory of their being, you know, enthusiast watches at a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars. It's sort of like if it's not an expensive object, you're not allowed to be associated with us. What do you think about all that?
1: Well, I think it's a, it's it's a bit overdue. There, there is definitely a little bit this mentality uh it's definitely part you can you can see that I can feel it obviously when I work uh, with brands which uh, which have a much uh lower price point which are more mainstream then again the work mainstream is you know it, it, it's very subject I mean uh there's there's probably uh, there, there are high-end or luxury watch companies that produce uh multiples of what of some of them what we call mainstream or more uh, entry mid-price uh, brands do um so so i think it's 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 a bit of a it's a bit of a um, yeah it, it is a philo- it is an attitude that still exists but i think it's it's changing quite a lot i think what, what how i say when i say interesting watches I'm, I'm not thinking about price point i'm just thinking what is the product offer what what is the value proposition? What, what what is the emotionality? What do they really bring to the market? I'm I'm not a big fan of mass-produced uh, products, uh, which which is just trying to satisfy the largest amount of possible customer. I I and this is again comes back to this idea of I have in terms of creating identity, in terms of um, aesthetics, in terms of uh, creation, is that have an edge that have uh, you could call it USB. I don't like this word. but Basically, which have a, a unicity, uh, something that makes them special, that makes them unique, that stick to a story, um, and that that for me is more impo- important. I'm, I tend to disagree because if you've seen uh, the latest um, uh, interesting uh, endeavors of in the industry, let's take the Dubai Watch Week, Geneva Watch Days, um, well. There are brands. The, the scope of the brand is is quite large. We, we, I mean, we participated with Raketa and Geneva Watch Days. We're talking about the price point of a thousand dollars, and then there's up to uh, a few hundred thousands of dollars. And, and and we actually cohabited among us very well. I think it's more. It's 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 more. Uh, it's not the price that defines it. It's. It's more the what it what is the offer rather than the price, I would say. Today it's changing, but it's still there.
0: Okay, so you said edge, which is an interesting term. Um, let's let's explore that a little bit because I think that to someone who doesn't know about watches or doesn't know how you think as a creative person, it can be very uh, ambiguous what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, true. You want me to elaborate on the word edge or well, USB? Okay, look. Uh, too many people say the word stories or emotion or things like yeah. that. It goes back to this notion of
1: why would you want to buy this product? I agree. Uh, and answering this edge or story, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a very vast subject. It's a very personal subject at the end of the day. It's a very personal take on it. I just I just consider that there is a lot of interesting things, and that's what I try to concentrate on interesting in this in this industry, independent of its price positioning. Uh, but it has to have something that makes it unique. For me, what is not unique, yeah, and um, I'm saying this with all due respect, but what's not unique is to take uh, off the peg movement everybody takes or everybody can a- have access and just produce a sort of Me Too product that resembles everybody else and just basically work on the on the price proposition uh, rather than anything else that for me is not interesting because it's just nothing create nothing new, nothing created and there are a lot of brands around uh, uh, there which basically only work on this logic. I have more respect for somebody who tries something even if it's just a very uh, small element of what constitutes the watch it doesn't just need to be the movement it can be also materials it can be also way of of, of you know, of, um, of usability, uh, it it can be of design of aesthetics. It's, but for me, when i when I say edge, uh, I mean that it has to have something genuine, unique that you can feel that there is something that's not just another me too product. Uh, and I think our industry lacks a little bit this, uh, and it comes back to our initial, uh, discussion for me. The creative drive is fundamental, and this is still lacking. This is also reason why I built up with the, the the University of of um, Art and Design in Geneva a master and bachelor degree in watch design because it didn't even exist in Switzerland. In Switzerland. Oh, wait, so you're making that happen? It is. It, it happened. It, we already have, a, have it ongoing since five years.
0: Really? I, because I've been complaining that stuff like that doesn't exist, and there should also be, at the same time, a degree on how to be a watch brand manager.
1: <laughs> that, that is another, that's another subject. But, but look, it's very interesting. We have, we have a lot of art and design schools in Switzerland. And obviously, it's, it's something regional. Some of them have a international exposure. But there was no you could you could study uh, cinema in Switzerland. What's we, the one
0: in Lausanne? Because I know that's a very popular Ekal. one.
1: Ekal. yeah, that's Ekal, right. Ekal, yeah. Ekal, I would say Ekal Head and Hayski, uh, no uh, uh, the one in Zurich are very uh, obviously they're the most global ones out of Switzerland. But what it, what the reality was that you can study cinema, movie, you can study graphic design, which Switzerland is pretty. They're famous great for. schools.
0: I mean Switzerland. Comes up with some great designers and some of the watch designers that come out of them, they do some of the world's most beautiful work. So much detail, so much culture and originality. I mean, they know what they're doing so much.
1: Absolutely. But, but, and, and this was for me a frustration because I'm myself a, a trained designer. I, I studied, uh, didn't uh, study. Oh, I didn't in, know
0: that.
1: Yeah, I did Art Center when you used to have a. When you did you draw? Have, yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, with orientation to autom- uh, automobile design because the only interesting, okay. at least for me uh, back then. Yeah. But uh, f- for me, it was always a frustration to see that there is no specific, uh, how do you call it, filière in French, as you would say, I mean, basically um, education uh, in uh, watch design, although the watch yeah. industry is the third, uh, biggest, uh, export third uh, biggest export industry in Switzerland. And you could, you can, you could study fashion, uh, fashion movie. And we, we know we don't have any real fashion brands in Switzerland. We don't really have any uh, cinema or movie industry in Switzerland, but you could study this in different schools, but not watch design. So for me, it was a fun, it, it was from beginning onwards. When I started this industry, I always wanted to push for that and managed, uh, with, um, the director of the university in, um, in Geneva to, to put this in place, um, and also joined their acad- academic board of that.
0: Can I be a professor in a class called Common Mistakes to Avoid?
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. I sure. would be good at running that class, right? <laughs> well, I'm sure you would be perfect. I mean, you you see, I mean, I guess you're one of these persons in this industry that sees the most and hears the most, oh, yeah. and, and, and this is a good thing, and still keeps, is very clear, and uh, I would say... Um, objective uh, opinion about it. So I think you'd be a definite a definite asset to that.
0: You know, I want to be in education. Like that's if I had to do something else it would be something academic.
1: Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm so, not so sure. if I get I'm to mix it with
0: the watch stuff that'd be great.
1: I'm not sure I would be good in uh, education. That's why I rather initiated it rather than to Yeah, you're to the guy behind course.
0: the scenes. You you know, look look, let's be honest. You too, you like things your way too much. You get impatient, you're creative, you're fussy. You have no business like like showing up at a class at the same time each day.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. I can agree on that.
0: <laughs> you can appreciate good education culture. You want to have good conversations, but let someone else be the professor.
1: I agree. Uh, see, we, we're totally in line. But but again, I mean, getting back to what I mentioned before, don't don't forget that again. It was an industry of engineers, producers of components were which were doing these time-giving instruments. And then what happened is they sold them to distributor, to, to intermediates who then sold them to the client. So this was the reality of, of our industry uh, even 20 years back. And then, you know, suddenly luxury uh, groups came into, into play, started to be interested in, 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 in watches as an additional uh, diversification of their portfolio within the brand. That already changed the perspective and suddenly brands started to, and brands, Start to understand that they're brands, or what it means to be a brand, and then there was the whole distribution game. So we we went stepwise from from purely producing to considering this idea of brand to distribution, including retail. And now I think uh, is the time, and I'm sure we see this time coming. Of um, yes, we also create, and brands gotta be. Um, got kind of have this creative edge. And this is why I think it's, it's fundamental. Uh, but the process has been maybe a bit upside down to what we see in other, uh, industries where it starts from the creation to, uh, to the rest. And I think we've been somehow a little bit inverted in, in certain fields. And I think it's just now adding now the market has the clients are empowered. Um, so they, they, they're they also looking for different things. Social media has been a big uh, game changer. Why also? Because uh, watches that all appear, uh, even though it, that's what sells the best, a metal uh, bracelet watch with a gray or blue uh, dial, uh, you know, a, a bit of color, a bit of shape, a bit of a bit of innovation, a bit of uh, mechanical uh, expertise, suddenly also changes um, the perspective and becomes more and more important.
0: Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blog to Watch Store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the Blog to Watch Store. Right now, the blog to watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at Blog2Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft-fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic Diver Dial even have a glow-in-the-dark face. The blog to watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog2Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now, and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. Why do you think that there's such a deficit of watch enthusiasts in high positions of management? You know, you've had like a Jean-Claude Biver, and in my opinion, his greatest asset was that he genuinely liked and collected Mm watches— in him being able to make smart decisions for consumers. But it seems like he's still the exception versus the norm. Why is that when there's so much evidence that if you put people
1: that like watches in charge, they help sell more watches? Well, Ariel, don't ask me. Uh, I would say luckily enough for me because that makes makes my business successful. But the reality has it, yes, indeed, it, it is. A, an industry run by managers and the more you go into the corporate world and that's maybe also a reason why these corporate brands, they, they, they struggle I mean struggle, they they are challenged uh, more and more by the independents because they're run by people which come from a pure managerial uh, background and most of the people unfortunately I met are not really passionate about watches and I think um, you know there's, it's, it's a business like any other uh, why is this I don't know. I don't ask me. It just evolved over time like this, um, probably because the, the, the industry would needed a lot of um, people who understood business uh, because it went from production to becoming brand and distribution again. And it meant that they just needed people who understand this. And uh, maybe the, the, the creative aspect was neglected. But you, you're right. I mean, that means that people have a bit of, not a bit, but who have the passion and have aesthetical, uh, uh, how do you say this? Uh, Who are sensitive to aesthetics, who are passionate. They have opinions on the matter. They have opinions about watches. Absolutely. They somehow overperform to the rest of the market. There are a few in the the market, but I agree with you. It's always a a discussion who is really somebody who has, who, who, who are the managers who are uh, who are product and, and uh, product sensitive and there is not that many
0: so what was it like
1: working within the swatch group um it was interesting I mean for, for more than interesting it was look I was lucky enough to 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 um, somehow be at the right time at the right place uh, have the right vision for the brand which was back then a very small actually it was a neglectable operation because it was it was almost it was basically in a drawer of search group rather than existing as a brand and i just i just had this idea of redeveloping the brand um and i was lucky enough to have with mr hayek senior late mr hayek senior my mentor who who trusted me and and and, and somehow uh, supported me in this endeavor but on the other extent i did an external uh, endeavor so i built this brand as an independent within a, a big corporation not working uh, at all with uh, the, the distribution system, trying to grow outside of it, which made it very successful.
0: And the workshop is amazing. The craftsmanship and all the different enameling and all the different crafts you did are amazing. And the products were lovely, really lovely. I think they were more than lovely.
1: I think they were great. I love them. They were beautiful. The yeah, I've always product. wanted a lot, bunch of them and well, now i mean i i was lucky enough to be able to design the brand from scratch including product and i did what i back then taste evolve also, but what i back then considered as being what should it should be uh what should be high-end watches or for me the whole idea of craftsmanship metida are fundamental artisanship is fundamental part of our industry so it's not just about the creation remember
0: the ones with the little Enamel dials that were like blue and gold that looked like fancy wallpaper. I love those things so much. Pioneer,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah, the Pioneer, 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 that's right. And see, but but I think it's that's what makes this industry so interesting. You can do so many things, and you can rely uh, rely on so many crafts and artists are great people who really have something unique. You you just wrap them up in different in a different way, and from something that looks very traditional or classical, maybe to a certain extent dusty, uh it, it suddenly become it, it can become something quite very contemporary, very yeah. um, you know, very up very appealing. Um I think there's there's a lot of things that, I mean the ingredients in this industry are just incredible for creation. But I agree with you overall, we're still lacking this. Uh, we're still lacking and, and we see it now in the high end uh, the high end industry. But we're still lacking a lot of this creativity in the mid-entry, mid-price segment. And this is where I say interesting watches. Uh, when I say 4 million interesting watches a year, that means that I consider that certain brands, a lot of the brands in the entry, mid-price segment are, in for me, simply not interesting. It's very personal because they just don't offer anything unique, anything different. And it's not a question of the price. It's just of the price. Of their product offer, uh, they just become too, uh, yeah, just just too mainstream to a certain extent. Too main, t- um, too, too mainstream, and just become an ordinary uh, product. And and we get back to what we said initially between this art piece and toy, uh, and doesn't and toys don't have necessary. Uh, it's not a question about price and art, not necessarily neither. So it's more about what you offer, and I think. That is where I think there's still a huge potential. And when, when this is coming and it's coming now for the, for the first time since I'm in this industry, suddenly you start to see a bit more, uh, innovation, a bit more creativity, a bit more daring, a bit more out of the meat and track going also in the entry price, uh, entry mid price segment. Why? Because simply they, they, they they've been put under pressure for, on one side the, the, the immense success of of wearable uh, devices on the other side simply because the business model of distribution uh where it was not a question of what you offer but it was more a question of how you if and how you can uh get to the end consumer um through a distribution chain and today with internet and other tools it just changed a lot but this suddenly this 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 impact, and we've seen the watch Swiss watch industry lost thirty percent of its volume. Even though overall, in terms of um, turnover and in terms of uh, revenues, the industry has been growing and still continues to grow. In terms of units, we lost a third of the units, and we didn't lose the third of the units just because of competition from uh, wearable devices. We lost it simply also because there was a fundamental lack of creativity, of innovation, of daring, of offering something to the market.
0: Why are so many of the fi- financiers so reluctant to invest all the time? It's as though they think that investing in a watch brand or, or spending money within a, a group in a watch brand is like a conservative inst- financial instrument, but it's not. It's a creative endeavor. There's so much reluctance to spend on all the areas that you need to spend. And it's so
1: systemic. Why? Why do you think that is? Well, I think it is. It, it, that's another element that I think will change. It is because, because again, of how we were structured. Even though the industry had interesting margins, a lot of the money was 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 used to to sustain distribution the distributions network because there was a lot of intermediates, and everybody had to live out of uh, out of it. So at the end of the day, there was not that much uh, money left. It, and then again, it's an, as you say, it's a creative industry it means we have constantly to recreate and recreate means redesign, uh, means R&D, means a lot of investment. And, and so it doesn't make it, if you take it from a brand perspective, it, it's it's not a short term revenue logic. You build brand over time and some brands needs years. It takes take a
0: decade, two decades.
1: Yeah. But that, that is today when, when you talk about, uh, return on investment in three or five years. And we've seen, we've seen these cases several times where there's people from the financial, uh, environment who come invest into the brands think or consider that there should be a uh, return on, on investment in three or five years because that's what they used to in other, uh, industry. And it just doesn't happen. And just pull the plug after three or five years. Although there is a momentum created in the brand. Um, this is one thing. It's a very long-term game on one side. And on the other side, I think it's just the way the margin was structured within the brands made it that at the end of the day, we, all was about investing in the in distribution and marketing rather than in creating products. And this again is also changing. So, so we, why is this changing? Because also today the reality is, you can do much more direct and some brands are selling purely direct, uh, direct to consumer. And that obviously makes that they, 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 they're able to, to get more, much more, uh, revenues per product. And that means they're also much more able to invest into creating new products, um, and innovate. And I think this is something that I would say again, it's a bit Correlated, it goes a bit together.
0: So, what are your thoughts on direct to consumer? It's something I wanted to know. Uh, you know, I'm just going to sort of explain to the context a little bit here. Um, traditionally, and and I think I think there's still a big future in this. Watch brands sell to retailers. Retailers find clients and sell to them. Retailers buy watches at a wholesale price, and they can make a handsome profit. But it is difficult and expensive to uh, find consumers, and that profit. Um, was originally invested in, you know, fine retail space and high-quality staff and marketing uh, to sell those watches. Um, so direct to consumer means that brands bypass having an intermediary, get to keep more margin, but have to develop a clientele, has to service them, has to have retail outlets and things like that. So those are the sort of the two. On the spectrum the two you know various oppositional forces some brands try to blend the two direct to consumer is basically you know you're vertically integrated you sell to consumers you service them blah 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 Uh, you have to constantly invest in it what what are your thoughts on on the viability of that for the type of brands you like to run
1: well see uh it's it's good that you've wrapped it up uh the reality has it also that for years uh, the the intermediate or the, the, the retailer or distributor got more of the profit than the brand itself. Often uh, in the in the price structure, if you take away the the cost price, and I'm just talking cost, I don't even talk about R&D uh, creation, uh, you know, which is which is also sometimes a costly process, um, but just the margin between the cost of the product and the retail value. There was more profit given to the distribution than to the brand itself. It just showed how important distribution was. It was more important than the brand itself for years. And now with the direct-to-consumer model, this rebalances a little bit. And then again, I'm I, I'm a profound believer of it's a touch and feel product. I think yes, um, it, it, it's it's both uh, will coexist. In uh, Because I think it's that coexistence that will make the strength of it. Finding a way where there are consumers that want to buy directly from the brand. There are consumers that live in places where the next uh, interesting uh, watch store is miles away, hours away, and simply trying to be present everywhere in the world. When you create, uh, when you do such a product, uh creative product complex product that takes a lot of time to produce and you get a, you want to be everywhere in the world it's just simply you just simply have this problematic that we all or often face of offering and demand and i think offering demand is fundamental so you're not able today to be able to to. i think it's just doesn't make a lot of sense or it's very complex to wanting to be in every city village of this world uh, with, with the product to be as close as the customer so there, there, there is the reality of some some clients want and some regions need to be uh, service direct and then there's the other fact that you it's a product you want to touch and feel and it's good to have places where people landing uh touch points call them or mark i call them more marketing points and sales points where You can experience where you can experience the brand, experience it with other brands where you can get the service, the explanation, the human touch that's fundamental uh, to our product.
0: Okay, so let's, again, let's unpack that. And And I agree with you, the human touch is important, but, you know, international shipping and marketing has changed the sort of, territories that used to be an incumbent in how the watch industry worked, which is basically countries and regional structure. Now it's maybe languages are more borders or places where you can't move things because of taxes or stuff like that. Those are the real borders now. Um, You know, shipping is cheap enough that it doesn't really matter if it's it's nearby you. So there are could be a new crop of retailers that are internet specialists and they'll sell to particular communities or demographics or tax regions or whatever. For for me, that could be the new era of, of the third party retailer, but in the digital domain. Uh, we, we have a little bit of that, not too much of it, but I think that that's an area that
1: needs more development. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm perfectly in line with you. I think it's, um, it, it, it's, the chain of trust as well. I think the whether I mean at the end of the day, it's the empowerment of the consumer. Whatever is the most suitable for him, whatever he needs should be satisfied. Now, if this need is to click and uh, click and buy, uh, then yes. Well, why not? Uh, then obviously, the more trusted uh, the platform is, the better it is for him. And trusted means it can be the, the brand itself. It can be it can be uh, somebody else. Or maybe he just wants to have the experience, the physical experience, the exchange. He needs this time. Then retail has its uh, full uh, value, and and then there's maybe the other element that I think will also grow over time is um, what I call the intermediate. Um, we always talk about cut the middleman uh, kind of logic, but but some people trust other people to be there. A uh, guide in, in terms of buying. And, and, and I think these people, what there are, certainly you, you're obviously part of one of them, Ariel, as a, as, a, as, as a as somehow an opinion leader, somebody who knows, who has a lot of insight into the industry and understand what is, it's always a bit, it's obviously always a bit subjective, but has, and, and then you have your trusted community. And I think it's exactly the same. So some community trust the brand, some community trust the retailer some community uh, trust a sort of other uh, scenario. and I think it's the cohabitation of these scenarios uh, that will evolve because it's just the way um, it, it is at the end the empowerment of the consumer. whatever he feels the most comfortable with is what we should offer as an alternative.
0: No, and that's that's actually the most you know contemporary thing that you you actually say is, uh, you know, the, the customer is always right in the sense that the way the customer wants to go is the way that you should be. And I've, re- I remember mentalities that were like, no, 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 we shouldn't be easy to buy. You should have to travel to a city and wait a few days and pay in this particular currency and be put on wait lists. That's real luxury. And I think the market almost universally in every part of the world has said, hell no, if you have money, you want convenience and and you want watches to be available and fun to buy, and easy to buy, and convenient, and and all that stuff. And there seems that that seems to be a dying mentality. But that was the way it was, right?
1: Well, is it really dying mentality? The reality has it that the production, the capacity—oh, it's not dying. No, it, it. Look, it, the problem is that there's always going to be a, a problem of simply offer and demand. Uh, again, uh, there is now a sort of, you know. Watches have always been very important in certain parts of the world for certain communities. Uh, Today it becomes global and and, and it becomes a very, uh, it becomes an integral part of the social lifestyle of of a lot of people. Um, The the, the interest for watches is growing, uh, it's growing to an extent and with the COVID has been accelerating quite uh, phenomenally. The reality is that how many watches can we produce? We are limited in our production capacities, at least to a certain extent, if we want to maintain this idea of highly crafted, uh, super, call it Swiss made if you want, or mechanic uh, mechanical movements, all these are incredible, uh, limiting factors um, to a market that today is largely outgrown. Uh, the, the, the demand has largely outgrown the offers, and that's where we see these waiting list, this incredible waiting list of what, five years, 10 years, Uh, second market prices that double, triple, quadruple uh, the retail value, Uh, not to say much more as we've seen uh, recently, but there is this kind of offer and demand reality. And we, with our best uh, efforts, our production will be able to increase by 5% 5 a year, not much more. Uh, on this particular field uh, of make, Swiss-made mechanical watches, so somehow brands will try to will not be able to satisfy the entire demand. So yes, uh, what you're saying is right, and uh, I should go into this direction, but it's disconnected from a simple offer, a reality. So
0: let's let's talk a little bit about major markets and. I think the United States is probably going to be the number one uh, watch market in the world. Um, If it isn't already, it will be again very, very soon, and it'll be that way for a long time. The watch industry has a very fragmented approach to the United States market. It isn't particularly well-developed. What are your, your opinions on how the United States market should be approached from a business perspective, growth perspective, investment perspective? What should brands be doing in the USA that they're not?
1: Well, see, the, the the U.S. was for long years a very complicated market because it's not one market; it's multiple markets, and uh, there's a lot of geographical uh, distance between key points, uh, key touch points, retail. It, it, and then, marketing tools are global and therefore very expensive. Or the usual uh, marketing tools back then were uh, were country uh, relative uh, and therefore very expensive because of the size of the market. But the market was somehow regional, um, developed very developed in certain places and not really in the rest. And I think uh, it, again, internet direct to consumer has changed the ball game because suddenly, and I see this for a lot of the brands I work with, which never foot uh, put foot into the market physically and still have the US as main market or one of the top three markets in the world because. Because they are more ready, more open for that. And if they're interested, uh, they also buy wherever they can get it. Um, So I would say, yes, the U.S. definitely uh, with this new reality uh, and the fact that it's still uh, a bit of an underdeveloped market in terms of um, affinity, uh, in terms of sensitivity to watches, there is a huge potential. And we see this... We see that is we, we, we can really feel how much the market has put still potential, and how uh, how with in the last two three last five ten years the market has been developing very quickly. But it's also a market that is um, more subject to cycles than than others uh, because it's still there, I st- I would say it's still the solid base is still. Uh, only in the making. So it, the, fr- the base is a bit more fragile, but the potential is, 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 is quite. You, you know, you're not
0: like super keen on it. You know, you're not. It's interesting. Like you're, you're, you're saying that things need to happen, but you're basically saying the United States is not as important a market as maybe I think it is.
1: No, I'm not saying this. I think it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very challenging market because it's not one market. It's like a, a multiplication of, of sub markets into one global market. It's a region. It's a region. I agree. It's a federal state, and it's also a federal market. In, in this sense, that means that every 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 region has a bit of a reality, uh, and and you can actually put it down. I mean, California or Texas or or, or Florida by itself are bigger than so than our, if you would put it down into the states in terms of business. But it's quite interesting to see how far up on the on the on the export uh, statistics, these states appear. The reality is that is we're talking about a certain number of states, a certain number of regions that are really driving, uh, the market. And I think, um, it takes a lot of time to build it properly. I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm just aware of the complexity, uh, the efforts, uh, that this market needs, uh, rather than on the potential it has that it's, it's, evident and it's going it, to it is okay. technically uh, the strongest market but and at least it's a market where entry barriers are not as complex as certain markets in asia and uh it's, it's very spa- business friendly it is very business friendly it's it's uh and and, and, and consumer are much more empowered as well to uh, at least at this particular stage so so i would say um, no, it is. It is for me. Uh, I mean, it's my number one market for some of the brands I'm I'm involved I'm in. Um But I am also aware of the task, of the investment, of the energy that uh, needs to be put in the market. So it's it's I'm trading off between the the the, the potential and uh, the efforts, and that means oh, it's so it's be hard we're, we're working is work. very expensive, huh? No, I'm not saying expensive. It, 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 you gotta make thing, You got to make it in right. You can't choose. It, it's, not, it's, it's a market you cannot just, you need to do have a, a, a global, strong, and convincing strategy. You cannot just cherry-pick in the market because it doesn't work otherwise.
0: No, I, I understand. Okay, last question. And it's a question that I asked Danny Govberg um, in a recent uh, episode of Superlative that I uh, recorded. And... Before I asked him the question, I was we're talking about watch brand marketing and things like that. And basically the question was, who should pay for watch brand marketing? Who should be responsible for most of the advertising and things like that? Because we were talking about how you know, the brands don't really want to pay and the retailers don't really want to pay. And I was sort of discussing the context of, well, someone has to pay. It's a marketing-driven industry. Who should, who should pay and under what circumstances? And just, you know, who does he think ha- in, in, in financial justice terms, who should be paying for the marketing, who benefits the most and things like that? Um, and he found it very difficult to answer. Um, and he is someone who I think regrets that the industry hasn't spent more on marketing has tried, you know, he tried to run a magazine. He does a lot of marketing himself. Uh, he's, he's asked for co-op a lot he doesn't get a lot of it. He's had to f- pay himself a lot and he knows he's one of the few retailers uh, that have done so. So he's clearly a fan of marketing and I think he recognizes it's unsustainable for him to <laughs> be marketing the entire industry. So I'll ask you the same question. Who should be spending the money to support watch brand marketing?
1: Uh, That's a challenging question, but I would say it's all a question of profit. At the end of the day, who has to pay for it is not necessarily the the, the, the relevant question is, how much risk, how much uh, investment uh, each party takes, how much they make profit and how much on this profit uh, could be invested. I think it would mean a certain transparency that we're not really able to give at this particular stage. But the reality, I don't think it's one or the other. I think um, it's it's if, if, if let's assume you get fifty percent of the margin of a retailer, then for me you should definitely uh, be the one who invests into uh, into the brand. But if you only get ten, let's say uh, just to make an example, then then it's it's one it should be on the brand side. It should be really depending on uh, on how much investment how much risk how much uh, innovation how much element you put into creating the brand how much you, you generate profit out of this and how much you can with the profit or the non-profit because there's a lot of watch brands that still uh, struggle to survive you can invest into uh, into building because at the end of the day i would say it's, it's an organic thing if the brand cannot survive because it's pushed too 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 high margins, too much marketing. Well, all marketing is useless because in a few years down the road or a few months down the road, it's not going to be there anymore anyway. Um, and vice versa on the retailers level. I think it's it's it really is something that has to be very transparently discussed. And this is what I do with some of my brands. I'm, I'm straightforward to say, look, this is the risk that I take. This is the money I need to make to continue to innovate and create. And you want a brand that's innovative and creative. This is what I left, have left over. This is what I can do. This is what I cannot do. And if it's in a very, I would say, partnership oriented uh, manner, then there sh- should be a possibility. So I think at the end, marketing is still something that needs mostly to be handled by the brand because it's related to the identity to, 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 uh, it it adds on the brand. Uh, but then it depends again on how the margin is structured today. It's a lot of the retailers. Why? Because often their margins are, uh, again, higher than, or their profit, uh, profitability share is higher than some of the brands. But if that changes and it has to change, well, then I think, again, empowerment is on the brands to support.
0: Okay. So last question. I know I said it was going to be the last question before, but last <laughs> question now, because I I know that we're both tech people. And we both first met, we were the types of people that were excited about getting the the, the next greatest phone or gadget or this or that. And there was a very robust culture around gadgets at the time. It's, it's actually yeah. partially how I got into watches. And then at some point, a couple of years ago, it just ended. The the next iPhone would come out, and it's just there was no real reason to get it. It wasn't that we didn't, or or it wasn't cool, but it's just there was no excitement around it. And all around us, from televisions to other tech, nothing um, was really very exciting. I mean, I do like the Apple Watch, but with each sub, you know um, subsequent model, uh, there isn't enough magic, and there's, it's it's very rare. So the tech industry sort of like screeched to a marketing halt to become an appliance industry. Mm-hmm. And I think that has a major effect, had a major effect. I think watches received a lot of free sort of promotion through those blogs and through some of that popularity. Now it's very, very different. So I'm just wondering, especially someone who's such a gearhead and loves all that stuff, <laughs> what do you think is, is the effect to the watch industry of a slow-down uh, hype sector for tech? Uh,
1: I don't think really, I don't see it really happening. Um, it, dep- it it, it, it could if it could be. It did to a certain extent uh, a little bit in the in the mid 2000s, uh, just when simply it was not about it was just about creating the more, uh, the the more complex, the more complicated watch rather than than you know they put two, three, four, five tourbillons on the watch and it sold even better than one with one or two, but it was so it, it was disconnected from what the market needed. So we. We experience these elements, but the, the, the advantage, I think, and this is probably a thing with the gadgets. After a while, it just bore people because it also becomes so technically advanced that you know you, you, don't, you necessarily don't even use it or need it anymore. And uh, I mean, a bit like you, I guess. Today, I mean, yeah, I'm happy with every evolution of the next iPhone, uh, with every additional uh, element, but it just, just. The use of it, uh, is not there anymore because it doesn't really, you don't really use it anymore. I mean, maybe the the Apple watch or is is something different because, uh, the more they integrate medical uh, elements, uh, you know, but that obviously will remain a good driver. But, but again, I mean, whether it's the latest MacBook or the latest, I'm just saying Apple, but uh, as, as a matter of fact, just the way you use it, the utility of it, the additional thing the additional uh, evolution doesn't bring that much utility and i think that's where it just somehow um, uh lost it and then also the fact that it, you know it's just the constant investment into something that you know it's uh, it, it's it's disposable um and i think this is a big advantage to watches uh have is that you they're much more timeless their, their, their functionalities, the simpler, the better. Uh, we've never sold as much, you know, high-end. Today, if you look at the prices, I mean, the, the best-selling watches, most of them are just simply two hands or three hands watches. versus 10, 15 years ago, it was the minute repeat of the tour, beyond this and that and so on. It was, a, it was over-packed with complications. And today, what sells the best and price-wise even is often very simple. Very pure, uh, very timeless products um, that can obviously in a way create and so on. But, but, but I think it's it's probably this this element that changed. It rem- right. a, a, a classical watch, a Dufour watch from twenty years ago today has a real investment value that's multiple of what it was twenty years back. Uh, you, you could you could argue that the first iPhone today has a multiple value of what it was back then. Okay the first one, but that's it. Right. Well, interesting things to think about.
0: Everyone, my guest has been Mr. Manuel Emk, and you can see his uh, his work, the products of his work t- right now at Louis Arard and Riquetta. Manuel, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Ariel. It was nice talking to you. Wish you a beautiful end of the afternoon or night, and uh, talk to you soon. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blogtowatch.com.
1: Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe...